0: Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Look, having cancer blow up in your face its never easy, but it's especially tough just when you're starting to make your way through life as a teenager or a young adult. Like our guest today, Michael, he's been through this experience himself, and he went on to become a psychologist who helps thousands of young people to deal with cancer and he's also built this incredible support system through Canteen, an organization that helps so many young people to deal with cancer emotionally and socially. Michael is simply an amazing person and a brilliant mind who shares some fantastic advice, building resilience, coping with the craziness and the uncertainty that comes with cancer. I'm sure you're gonna love this as much as I did.
1: Michael, thank you so much. Pleasure.
0: I really appreciate your time. Michael, so how did you first come across cancer? Uh,
1: I was diagnosed with a parotid tumour in my neck when I was 18 years of age. And I was basically told that once the diagnosis had been made, there was very little hope and that I had about three months to live. Wow. So that's how I came across cancer.
0: That's shocking. So what happened next?
1: I was given a choice of having palliative care or I could have lots of head and neck radiotherapy, but it was explained to me, because this was the mid 70s, that the amount of radiotherapy they would have to use to kill the tumor would kill a lot of the tissue around it. And um, there was no guarantee that I would survive the treatment, but I elected to have the treatment. So it was pretty horrible. I didn't enjoy it very much, but I'm here. So it was a good decision. And that changed the course of your life. Certainly did. Certainly did. Um, When I was in um, hospital, I read a book which changed my life. And it was a book called The Private Worlds of Dying Children. And it was a book by a medical anthropologist called Myra bluebond langer Very strange name. And what she'd done is in the 70s, she'd gone into a children's leukemia ward and she just stayed there for a year talking to the children, just playing with them. And she discovered so much interesting stuff. The thing that really struck me is she discovered that even though the policy on this children's leukemia ward was not to tell them that they were dying, they all knew anyway, but they also knew that they had to keep that knowledge from their mothers and fathers. And Myra called this the mutual pretense syndrome. And I just became fascinated by the whole area of uh, psychology, cancer, and what later became known as psychosocial oncology.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really amazing, Michael. And you started Canteen, which was the first yeah. support group for teenagers and children around cancer,
1: which is, which is absolutely amazing. How did that come about? So I wrote my PhD at the University of New South Wales, on adolescents with cancer. And I didn't stay for one year, I stayed for four years on the ward, just talking to the kids as they lived and died. And I discovered um, that the doctors back then assumed that if they made the young people's bodies resilient to the disease, their minds would follow. And in fact, it didn't work that way at all. Many of the kids had significant psychological problems in addition to battling cancer. And it struck me, and this is what my PhD said, that we need to look after their minds as well. So this was, I think I finished in 84, and the beginnings of psychosocial oncology had just started. And I published, I think, four or five articles in the Medical Journal of Australia highlighting the developmental needs of teenagers with cancer and the logical thing at the end of the PhD was to start a support group and I had a lot of of help doing that but it's still the most important thing I've ever done in my life and it's just a great opportunity and I took it.
0: Yeah, fantastic and good on you, and Thank you so much for doing that. So what are some of the things that you've discovered that, that help young adults and kids help to deal with it
1: mentally and socially and emotionally? So what they needed was, I think, education, information, and support. And what I discovered is that there were four key developmental tasks that these kids had trouble with. One was emancipating from adults. Because they were sick, many of them were immunosuppressed, they weren't allowed to be normal teenagers and they felt that very keenly. They felt like they'd been put in a cage and someone had thrown away the key. So instead of being able to spread their wings and fly like most adolescents, because they were sick, their parents were very overprotective and in many instances physically they couldn't go out because they would just get infections. Uh, the second task that they had difficulty with was identity of formation, just knowing who they were, because what was hanging over their heads the whole time was, well, maybe I won't be at all, maybe I'll die. And that was pretty hard. It was sort kind of like the sword of Damocles hanging over their head every second of the day. So how can I figure out who I am if I might not be here tomorrow? The third task was one of making friends, Many of them were highly stigmatised by their friends. They weren't at school, so they missed out on that socialisation. And even when they were home, quite often their friends weren't allowed to come round because of their immunosuppression. So that's a key developmental task. And the last task, which I think was one of the most important ones, was going to school. And many of them weren't able to do that either. And back then, the uh, schools weren't that great about sending work home. So, four of the most important developmental tasks of these young people were severely compromised by their diagnosis and their treatment.
0: Wow, that's, that's so shocking. And being linked in together in a support group, how did that help?
1: So, the most important thing you have to understand is about adolescence is that, that at no other time in their life is their desire to be with their age mates so strong. And I felt very keenly when I was 18 that I was completely abandoned um, by my friends, they'd all thought that I was, I was dying. I had a few exceptions, but not many. And I felt very, very lonely. So driven by that personal experience, I thought if we actually created an artificial peer group where the kids could actually just get together. And the one thing they had in common was they were either brothers or sisters or people living with cancer, that this would be a sort of community and they wouldn't care what other people said of them. And that's exactly what happened. We started doing outings. Then the outings became camps, and the camps became excursions. It was, it took on a life of its own. And um, you know, you look at canteen now. It's amazing. That same formula still works, uh, thirty three years later, still <laughs> it's, working.
0: It's undeliverable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and you know, and cancer diagnosis in itself is just such an incredible turning point for someone in their life. So how can someone, especially a young person, deal with it in a better way?
1: I think it boils down to resilience. And um, what I discovered in my PhD is that there's some kids who weren't naturally resilient and some people who weren't. The people who weren't didn't do it very well. And many of them, in fact, I think, died, developed really significant psychological morbidity and were really impaired for a long time by their diagnosis the resilient kids had a couple of things in common one they all seemed to have a charismatic adult in their life they said one person one adult person that they'd latched onto that made them feel safe and valued and really listened to their concerns the second thing that they had was they had really good social and emotional competencies so before they were sick they'd developed good problem solving decision-making, conflict resolution, anger management. So they were pretty much the psychological package before they became ill, and they drew on those social and emotional competencies to manage the stressors that were thrown at them. The third thing that they had was really good self-talk. So they would tend to see life as it was, but they'd always try and focus on the good bits. So they would literally be able to... Um, if they couldn't change something that was happening to them, they'd change the way they thought about it. So really clever, good, resilient self-talk. They also um, generally had something to occupy themselves, something that they were really good at. So it might have been art, music, dance, drama, sport. And the last thing they had was spirituality. They all had a sense of meaning, purpose and belonging. Every single one of the kids that did well had not necessarily religion although some did many of them just had a sense of connectedness or relatedness to some thing or someone that transcended the material world and this combination of factors seemed to make them really resilient if i were to encapsulate it i think that these kids were naturally pretty generous they were had really good empathy for other people and they were quite mindful, so that was really the, the key characteristics of those kids who did well.
0: And is there any way to build on your resilience and to improve all of, in those? Abilities?
1: All of those skills can be taught, and um, obviously at Canteen we we try and do that. Um, as a clinician working with young people who are going through all sorts of difficult situations, that's that's your aim is to build resilience. It's much easier to build strong young people than repair broken ones.
0: And what, are the, what do you believe are the key characteristics to do that? What are the, some of the techniques that someone could apply as, as a young person to become more resilient and to build, I guess, yep. a, a stronger, more... Uh, to
1: practice uh, to practice mindfulness on a regular basis. And there are now apps like Smiling Mind, which can teach you how to do that, to literally make a determination to be as generous and as kind as empathic to all the people around you as possible because we are hardwired to do nice things for other people. We benefit from it, not just the people we're being kind to. And I think Canteen gives young people the opportunity to reach out, touch, help those other people who are going through what they're going through. And I think that's really important. And the other thing is to find meaning and purpose in what's happening to you. Um, I guess the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was being diagnosed with cancer because it completely and utterly changed my life. Prior to that, I think I was a spoiled brat. My parents were, were diplomats. We travelled around the world, were driven around in limousines. We lived in beautiful mansions. Um, we had servants picking up after us. It was just an amazing life. But uh, this brought you down to earth because it doesn't matter who you are cancer doesn't discriminate
0: (laughs) yeah that that really makes things real and michael so when when you're dealing with treatment and yes it's all overwhelming as as you've experienced and you've spoken to so many others is there anything that can help you to get through this whole craziness and uncertainty of dealing with it
1: what advice do you have on that front i guess the same same answers i've just given you i think it's treatment is incredibly stressful there's nothing good to be said about it. I remember uh, as if it was yesterday, lying under a linear accelerator machine, knowing that for the next two days you'd have terrible pain, nausea, vomiting, and that this was all supposed to be good for you. So I think that having someone that you can talk to about your thoughts and feelings who's not going to be judgy very important. Secondly. Having that capacity to zone out, to do the mindfulness, terribly important, to find ways of coping with those moments, and that might be through music. I was very, very prone to listen to music and it seemed to soothe me. Doesn't work for everybody, but it really changed my moods a lot. Um, And you know, you don't feel like eating, so you basically can do as much. I actually found communing with nature, being outdoors, very important. My parents actually bought me a house to die in, in the Marlborough Sounds of New Zealand, uh, a little place called Motapu Bay. And I remember after the really horrible treatment times, I'd go down there and I'd just, you know, uh, wander and and look at. It has to be one of the most beautiful parts of the world. I don't know if you have ever seen Marlborough Sounds, oh. but it's you know Google it. It's gorgeous. So that that's another thing that really helped me deal, particularly with the horrible treatment.
0: Wow, that's <laughs> that's incredible. And Michael, so how do you? It's, it might be a weird question, but how do you know that you need help? How do you know that you're struggling mentally with cancer? Because it's
1: because it is cancer. Like it's supposed to be hard. Um, I think that many young people going through treatment, feel miserable most of the day, most of the time. They can often have be bombarded by thoughts of death, dying, loss, grief. You can basically lose a lot of hope. You can feel helpless, hopeless, worthless, and you want to withdraw. You don't want to talk to anyone. You can get quite irritable and angry. Probably not that much fun to be around, to be honest with you. And um, I think those are the big signs that life isn't, isn't going well. If I had to summarise it, it's you develop a negative view of yourself, a negative view of your environment, and that's the people, your family, friends, school, work. And worse, you develop a negative view of the future. And uh, if you have that, I call it the negative triad of cancer, it's not good. That's when you really need help. And you and- need to come and speak to someone like me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so Michael, so when we
0: talk about like depression and anxiety during cancer, how does that relate to depression and anxiety like outside of cancer? Is is Exactly the same.
1: same? There's no difference. I think that um, it's regarded by psychologists as more reactive depression. It's in response to an event um, or we call it an adjustment disorder. Uh, but essentially, it has all the characteristics of depression. It's just related to the fact you're going through a really terrible time. It's not sadness. Sadness lasts minutes, hours, or days. This is a pervasive and relentless sense of despair, which goes for a long time and it's much deeper than sadness. Yeah.
0: Well, absolutely. And, and you know, like, cancer is obviously incredibly tough to deal with in terms of friendships and relationships that are tested because. I guess on one level you don't know what to say to people and you don't want to be a burden and you don't want to look stupid and weak, but at the same time I guess other people they don't really know what, what to say either because they don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, like what advice did you have on that friend?
1: My experience was that people didn't know what to say and they ended up saying really stupid things like I know how you feel or, um, <laughs> or avoiding you completely. So I think the best thing you can say is, I'm here for you. I'm interested in helping in any way I can. I recognize that at times you're not gonna to wanna to talk, but when you do, I'm here. And I think that constantly holding out almost a psychological olive branch to the person, saying, look, I know you don't wanna speak at the moment, but when you do, I'm here over and over again, be a broken record because there'll come a time when they, they wanna talk. And if you just continue to be there for them, that'll happen. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And one of the
0: other things about cancer is that you're constantly in between things. You're in between appointments and and, and treatment and, and waiting for like test results. What do you think can someone do to deal better with this whole uncertainty
1: that comes with cancer? I think that for my money, my philosophy for those young people is if in life you can't change something, the thing that separates us from all the other creatures on the planet is that we, and we alone, can change the way you think about it. So if you dwell on the uncertainty, if you ruminate about it, that's like a psychological cancer. It'll eat you up. The most important thing is not to do that, to consciously focus on the other parts of your life that are in fact going well. And uh, that takes quite a lot of psychological strength, takes a lot of help and support, but. I've found that with not only all the members of Canteen that I worked with, but all my clients now who are suffering, it works. You can actually train them to be resilient. It's a fundamental tenet of cognitive behavioral therapy that your thoughts influence your feelings, which influence your behavior. So you've got to start with the thoughts, got to change your thinking. Well, and if you've survived, when you survived cancer, um, you obviously have the, the shadow
0: still hanging over you because you're still going for checkups and you're afraid of cancer coming back. So how do you deal with that? How do you cope with the fear of cancer
1: coming back? I stopped going to my checkup appointments because I found them too harrowing. I didn't, I, it was kind of like there's this syndrome called the Cleopatra syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? No? queen of denial so you just deny everything that is happening and um, my coping mechanism after a couple of years was just to think well if it comes back it's come back I'm not going to put my life on hold I'm not going to spend hours waiting around um, for results and you know I I just decided that I was going to get on with my life that's what I did and canteen of course provides you with lots of things to do when you're starting an organisation. And uh, I think that that was a good distraction for me. So is that when you started then, backward? No, 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 no. What you have to understand is that you go through this period of time. For me, immediately post the radiation therapy, I actually had to do university. So I actually sit exams. So that was a big distraction. That worked very well for me. And then I did my master's thesis on children with cancer in Wellington Hospital in New Zealand then I moved to Australia did my PhD so all of it was one long big working through what had happened to me I used my academic studies to process what had happened to me psychologically does that make sense yeah absolutely Um, still had anxiety still had I think a little bit of depression maybe even a little bit of PTSD but I remember feeling that I needed to get back into life i never had the same amount of energy radiotherapy takes that away from you so i couldn't keep up i didn't have the stamina that my friends had but you adjust and and that's what i did then when i finished the phd it all came together i was sitting in the bath one night and i thought canteen yeah that's what i need to do and um it was kind of like overnight the whole concept gelled and I just made it happen. I had lots of people to help me, but that's how it worked.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, Michael. Uh,
1: and it's something obviously like having,
0: finding that new purpose has given given you an ability to deal with this whole thing in a completely yeah. different way.
1: So if you if you go back to my resilience model, the last part was finding meaning in what happened to you. And I think that's, that's what I did. I didn't know enough to do it straight away. So that's why I did the master's thesis and the PhD, because I read everything that anybody had ever written on this whole thing to try and understand it on an intellectual level. So I dealt with a lot of the emotional stuff by intellectualizing it, and that was beneficial. I think it made me a better clinician. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is
0: this what you would recommend to uh, other people as well, going through cancer or after cancer to, to find a new purpose, something that really gets you energized, something that gives you direction and, and, and new meaning?
1: I think that's one way of coping. It's not for everybody, but certainly it worked for me, um, and it works for many of the kids with cancer. I, I think about the literally now hundreds of kids who've survived and who were within canteen and obviously you develop relationships with these people and many of them have done amazing things. Won gold medals at the Paralympics and you know, kids who've got one leg, just amazing stuff. So everybody everybody does it in their own way. And um, uh, one of my friends wrote a book called The Grief Book and she used her experience as a survivor to understand grief and to help other people work through their grief. She wrote this little book. It's available through Black Dog Books, which is a little book company in Australia. And it's called The Grief Book and it's got a hundred different ways young people to deal with their grief. So do you see what she did? She used her own experience, and she found something out of that which was gonna leave a remarkable legacy. And her name was Elizabeth Verco. She did a great job. So there are a thousand different ways people find meaning and purpose. That's two. Yeah, fantastic, Michael. So and what are some of the best resources that
0: you would recommend for someone to deal with, I guess, the mental, and the psychological impact of cancer?
1: I believe that there is, if you're a young person, there's a book, a really good book called Good Thinking by a woman called Sarah Edelman. And I think her co-author is Louise Ramond. And I found that book just quite simply brilliant in terms of helping teenagers learn how to think about things differently. So that's a fantastic resource. I, I, I can't really go by that. If you're a bit older, a young adult, Sarah Edelman's written a book for adults called Change Your Thinking, and I think that's very good too. So those are the two sort of top-end resources. Um, If you're a teenager going through it and you're not big on books, there's a website called Mood Gym. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. That helps you think about things differently as well. So in terms of self-treatment, I think that's outstanding, really good. And there are a couple of other online programs. This Way Up is one of them. And there's another one called Moon Spot. So we tend to think things now are online because their whole world is online. The resources can be found online. Those are the best I can think of.
0: Cool. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. It's incredible.
1: Good. Yeah. And thank you for
0: all the stuff you've done with Canteen. It's, it's mind blowing. It was the young people who did it, they, they were really good. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with and you don't want to go it alone. You want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that i have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific something that's bothering you right now so maybe you're waiting for your test results and your minds off running in a million different directions or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is like is it cancer is that a side effect from treatment or maybe is that something else altogether so it will kind of help you to put it all together so you you can can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague, her name is Jill, her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so she has this kind of c- caregiver's perspective, and we both like talked about how there are so many times um, when you go through cancer, when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling, you're on this roller coaster of emotions, and it's kind of full-on and it's hard to deal with so there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the mp3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and you know and just uh, listen along with the pdf So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one-page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus the kit also includes like ready to go email templates for your family, friends and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's, what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news or, or, on cancer and you can don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit. So to suit your personality and you're good to go and i've also done the same thing for prostate cancer so check out the prostate cancer support kit again it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page so you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend and they know what to expect and how it all happens and of course when you sign up for any of my tools and we just talked about, you'll also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest. Like, please, I need to know just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's joe at simplifycancer.com and send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time.